Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. It'll be in Acts chapter 14 this morning, and I'm going to pick up the text in verse 8, and then we'll talk through the whole passage together. Acts chapter 14, verse 8. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet, and he was crippled from birth and had never walked. And he listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Laconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. We are back in the book of Acts. I want to take just a moment and thank Pastor Justin for filling in. Heard wonderful comments about his discussion on worship. Uh, if you're new to Fellowship Bible Church, we are a church that, uh, that is still learning. So that's one of the things we know. We don't really, haven't really established significant traditions. We're young for a church, uh, 30 plus years old. That's young. If you just wander down through Mullica Hill, you'll see churches that have been here a lot longer than that. But I hope we always remain kind of in the status of learning. So we're discovering and understanding worship, we're discovering and understanding the word, we're discovering and understanding things like fellowship, Uh, we're discovering and understanding how to pray with one another and pray for one another. That's part of fellowship. In the early stages, um, when we lived out of a trailer and we'd unpack the trailer every Sunday in one of the public schools, whether it was Clearview Junior High or Clearview High School or Kingsway High School, um, we used to call it, FBC used to stand for Flexible Bible Church, okay? I hope we don't lose that, right? We're still learning, we're still growing, and hopefully we're still flexible. In Acts chapter 14, we learn certain truths that apply to all of us And I'm going to entitle this, uh, When God is Actively Working. I probably said that before in the book of Acts, over and over again, God, you you get the impression, God is always actively working, but in the book of Acts, you see that visibly actually happening. So there's three lessons we want to unpack for you this morning. Here's the first one. There will be those who surrender in belief and those who harden in unbelief. We would think that when God is working, everybody will just surrender in belief, okay? But you're going to find in our text, there will be those who actually harden in their unbelief. Here's the second one. There will be opportunity for self-exaltation that will need humble correction. You heard that in the passage we read this morning. When God was at work, the people, the crowds, began to think that it was really gods that were walking among them and not just Paul and Barnabas. 
And we'll unpack that for you momentarily too. And finally, number three, when God is actively working, there will be opposition to the message that has implications for the messengers. Now, just let me say that again. There will be opposition to the message that has implications to the messengers. That's impactful in the world in which you and I live. You and I cannot profess to be Christians presently in this environment and expect that the opposition to the message will not have implication to the messengers, okay? So we'll get to that one at the end. Let's just take them here one by one real quickly. By the way, children, welcome, all right? Welcome to big church. That's what I like to call it, okay? So we're glad you can be in your service, but we're also glad you can join us at least for a few Sundays here. Uh, Here's the first one. Surrender in belief or harden in unbelief. There's two thoughts I want you to ponder with me on this. Genuine belief comes through the spoken word and unbelief depends upon a refusal to listen. Now, if you keep those two things in mind, and you can kind of track those all the way through the Bible, how genuine belief comes simply through the spoken word, and unbelief depends upon a refusal to listen, and you'll see that momentarily. Just let me show you how it opens. Acts chapter 14, verse 1. It's a new city for Paul and Barnabas. They were run out of Antioch uh, before, but here they are in Acts 14. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Note this, they spoke the word and immediately both Jews and Greeks believed. There weren't Greeks in the synagogue, so you can only assume that the Jews were talking about it and certain Jews believed. They were talking to their Greek brother, neighbors, and the Greek neighbors believed, and Paul was out there doing that. Now, before we get to verse 2, just know this, because genuine belief comes from the spoken word. Here's what you and I must remember, okay? So speak the simple gospel because that's where the power is. You want to get to sharing the gospel with people. You don't just want to talk randomly. You don't want to simply talk about ideas. You want to get to the gospel. The power is not in you, okay? The power is in expressing the simple gospel. Over and over again, when I've shared with someone, I've just been surprised. Like, when I turn the Bible over to to them and I say, just read that verse for me, there is something that is happening. And as they speak out the word itself, they speak the gospel, they're reading it, it dawns on them that this is true. It's like, that's the key. The key is the gospel. That's what unlocks the hardened heart. And and by the way, just by way of reminder, Paul will do miracles here. He's going to heal people momentarily in this passage. But that's not where the power is. The power isn't in what they see. The power is in the word of the gospel. Let me be really clear. If you want the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15 gives it to you. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's where the power is, okay? Now, here's the, uh, and, and let me just take you to that truth again in Romans chapter 10, because there Paul says the same thing. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they going to believe? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Okay, you got to speak the word. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Stop right there. That's not just me, okay? The word preaching here is the word for proclaiming. It's simply, it's simply proclaiming the gospel. That's you, Right? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Here's the picture. You and I have to at some point share the gospel. And if you can't get to it, then at least 
I don't know. Stick a bookmark in the relationship so that you can come back to it, okay? Because again, the power to change is in the gospel. Here's the other truth I want you to capture before we unpack the rest of this passage. It is important that Christians do good deeds, greed. When we came to uh, the tornado a couple years ago, some of you are here as a result of the love of this congregation helping you, but that's not where the power is. Power is in the gospel. For you to come and be a part of fellowship, we're thrilled you're here. But it's the gospel that changes your life, not simply the fact that someone did something good for you, so you want to do something good for somebody else. It's this reality that we were sinners and that we needed a Savior and that Christ was sent by God the Father to die in our place. That's where the power is. Okay. Now, with that in mind, look what happens. Verse 2, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers, okay? So they remained for a long time. I love that. It doesn't matter that they faced opposition. They went ahead and stayed. This is so important. We are so easily discouraged. We get a little bit of pushback and we say, well, that's it. I'm quitting, okay? Not so. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Now, this passage teaches us two things. It teaches us, first of all, that we can expect not all to respond positively. And it also teaches us that if you put all of the evidence in front of them, they still may not believe. Okay. I mean, there are signs and wonders being done by Paul and Barnabas' hands. When they do the, these kinds of things a little later and the man stands up and walks, the, the Gentiles, the non-believing people say, these people must be gods. They don't deny the truth of, of the miracle that they've seen. By the way, just ponder this thought for a moment. When Jesus did miracles in the gospel record, there were people who believed and there were people who didn't believe. People did not discount the miracle. They sometimes said things like, oh, he does it by the power of Satan, but they didn't disqualify the witness of the miracle. And that's why you just can't give more evidence because when people don't come to believe, they're doing it because of a refusal to listen. So here's what we learned from that. Don't be discouraged when not all respond and don't believe that more evidence will necessarily convince them. Okay. Now, I'm all for the fact that we should give evidence and apologetics and all of that's good, but more and more evidence doesn't bring the convincing element. The gospel is what brings the change. Don't be discouraged when not all respond, and don't believe that more evidence will convince them. In 1958, wow, that's a lot of years ago, okay? Sir Aldous Huxley, a British atheist, was asked the question on public television, why did America start to turn from Christianity? Now, I know that's news for some of you. Some of you thought that turn was more recent, okay? But the interviewer was saying to Sir Aldous Huxley, did they turn because science and evolution begin to prove that Christianity was wrong? Okay. This is a scholar, an atheist. Sir Aldous Huxley wrote the book, A Brave New World. It goes way back. Okay. And you know what he said in 1958? He, he smiled at the interviewer. He chuckled and he said, it was never science. The interviewer said, well, what changed them? Why did they turn from Christianity if it wasn't evidence? And this is what he said. He said it was their sexual mores. Their sexual desires caused them to not want to follow a God who put parameters on that. Now, just let that thought settle in. 
This is why you can't win the argument with more evidence because the heart has already determined in unbelief that there's a refusal to listen to what God is saying. And it's also why the gospel just comes into that moment and says this isn't recent history. This is like a lot of years ago where he makes that statement, but it's almost prophetic, isn't it? Don't be discouraged when not all respond and don't believe that more evidence will convince them. Why? Because unbelief depends upon a refusal to listen to what is being said. And that's exactly where the people are those days. Now let me take you to verses four and five, show you something else real quickly. Um, Here we go, verses four and five. Uh, Did I give you this already? Did you see that slide? Okay, wanted to give you a chance to write it down. There, no more time to write it down. Okay, here we go. Verse four, but the people of the city were divided and some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia and to the surrounding country. And they, there they continued to preach the gospel. Now I gotta stop there for a second because it may almost seem like, whoa, these guys were afraid. And when the heat got a little heavier, they just bailed out of town. And I want you to think about this briefly. A witness, and by the way, the, the English word witness in our, tran- in our English Bibles is translated by the Greek word martyr, okay, Martyr martyria. So here's your word, okay? When we think of witnessing, these people are thinking they're expecting to be martyred. When Jesus says in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses, man, he's basically saying to them, you will die for your faith, okay? A witness isn't motivated by fear of opposition, but by stewardship of the message. The reason Paul moves on to another city is he's on a missionary journey and he's got more cities to visit. So when the opposition heats up, if he were to be killed there, he's gonna lose the opportunity to take the message elsewhere. And I just wanna qualify that because if you don't qualify it, if you don't pause and say, listen, Paul was just afraid. Paul and Barnabas just chickened out and they ran out of town. You're not gonna understand what's about to happen because they're about to drag him out of town, stone him and leave him for dead, okay? So that's the end of this story. So just by way of reminder, a witness isn't motivated by the fear of opposition, but by stewardship of the message. Now let's take on that second idea. Whenever God is actively working, there will be opportunity for self-exaltation that will need humble correction. This is so critical. And two things you need to understand. People will give you credit for what only God can do. That's right. People will always be giving you credit for what only God can do. And here's the second idea. Use every opportunity to share what God is doing. Rather than pat yourself on the back because somebody gave you credit for what God is doing, okay, look at that as a window or as an opportunity to tell everybody what God is actually doing. This is one of the great dangers of taking credit for something that only God did, is that we miss the incredible opportunity to give God praise for what he did. So here's what happens in Acts chapter 14. We've already read this passage, but when, uh, when Paul in verse eight says to this man, stand up and walk, and the man stands up and walks, okay, the people immediately try to give Paul credit for what only God can do. And here's the truth. Two things, great reminders. Don't assume they won't change their mind, okay? They may tell you, oh, you're the greatest. Don't assume they're not gonna change their mind about that, And never touch God's glory. Let me take the first part of that. Don't assume they won't change their mind. One of the things I learned early on as a pastor, um, a long, long time ago, when I first started preaching, 
was that I liked to hear the accolades of people. And I knew that when they said, and before long, I began to realize that I was preaching and I could tell when I would go home for lunch in the afternoon that if certain people had said, great message, pastor, okay, I had a good day. And if they didn't say anything to me, I was filled with doubts. You know why? Because I was dependent. I was thinking that when they were giving me credit, it was something I had done. It was never something I had done. By the way, I soon learned that those same people who could give you the greatest praise could also call for your execution. This is a problem, right? Because I realized one day that, that... that I had made myself vulnerable to their praise so that when they brought criticism, I had an open heart to their criticism. I didn't pause to say, okay, I got to think through that. Probably some truth to what they just said. I probably should have been executed a long time ago. Okay, yeah, like, like, like I, I, I didn't really have the venue or the mechanism to run that through the grid because I'd never run their praise through a grid. Now, for just a moment, understand this. If people at work tell you you are the greatest thing, use some discernment. Go home and ask your family, do you really think I'm the greatest thing? Okay. Run that thing through a filter. Because if you don't run that thing through a filter, you become the slave of the person who is saying things about you that is positive, and the moment they yank your chain and they're critical, whoa, you overreact. And you know why you overreact? because you wanted to believe all the praise, so now you're left to have to believe all the criticism. This is the great thing that Paul and Barnabas do. They wade into this crowd who's claiming they're gods. They don't say, hey, listen, we're not really gods, but if you want to give a little something, we'll take something. Who's taking us out to dinner tonight? Because you know, they don't say any of that. They just wade in and say, whoa, we are people of like nature like you. And by the way, do not sacrifice that ox for us because we're not going to touch God's glory. That's God's glory. God gets the glory. We don't get the glory. There's something really remarkable. Just think about this for a second. We see this all the time in, um, on the national uh, platforms. Whenever you see a professional athlete who tends to say they did something, okay, you almost want to say, check that off. But when you see one who humbly says it was a team effort, Somehow our hearts are drawn to that, right? And here's the thing. You know this because you grew up in the shadow of Philly fans, and you are Philly fans, okay? Don't assume people can't change their mind, right? (laughs) Enough said, right? People will give you credit for only what God can do. By the way, let me show you that in the text. Here, they're calling them gods. Look at verse 19, Acts 14. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds. Remember, it's the crowds that just called out to them and said, you're God. Having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Okay, remember I said, they're going to praise you one moment, call for your execution the next. Don't assume they won't change their mind. Never touch God's glory. Here's the second idea. Use every opportunity to share what God is doing. This is exactly what Paul does with that window. He just shares what God is doing. Um, And notice how he does this. Don't assume 
don't assume common authority, first seek for common understanding. Let me show you that in this text. This is a really cool idea. Remember how he starts to unpack men. Why are you doing these things? Now stop for a second. Let me show you something. There is no mention of him going to a synagogue here. If there's a Jewish population, it's small. These are just Gentiles, okay? He doesn't start with the authority of the Bible, but he always does that when he's in the synagogue. He starts preaching from the Old Testament, which is all they had then. So he starts preaching from the Old Testament, and, and there's, a, there's an equal authority. But there isn't a common authority with these Gentiles. He can't say, well, the Bible says. They'd say, what's the Bible? Okay. So what he does is he does something else. Look at verse 15. We also are men of like nature like you. Clear it up. Don't worship us. We don't want to be worshipped. We're, we're not gods. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. See what he does? Who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. He immediately make, points them towards creation. I'm going to tell you about this God who did all these things. And notice what he says in verse 17. It's the same word. He says, and he, yet he did not leave himself without witness. Here it comes. When I read that the first time, no, not the first time, but when I read it multiple times, I was ready for him off the word witness to go right back to the Old Testament. But he doesn't. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. He said, listen, everything you have is from God. He pointed to a place of common understanding, not a place of common authority. Stop, Christians, and know this. Okay. The world in which we are, this is such a message for today. The world in which we are no longer live doesn't really see the Bible as an authority. So you and I have to look for ways to explain with common understanding and not assume that we just give the Bible as the authority and that's going to work. Okay. Now you say, well, I thought you said the gospel was the solution. The gospel is the solution. But when you're having the conversation to bring the gospel into it, you, you, you need to start with some other ways that people can see that God is working. Okay. And it really, we just got back from vacation out west, um, and before that I was where, I don't remember where I was flying. I was, oh yeah, it was out west, but we weren't sitting together, so the, the whole family's on the plane sitting in different places. You know how economy flying is now, right? So everybody's sitting someplace else, and I am, I'm working like crazy because I'm about to go on vacation, and I don't want to take the work with me, so I'm just hammering away at my laptop. I'm not talking to this guy next to me at all, okay, until the plane lands, and then I feel kind of convicted, so I say to him, uh, are you heading home or are you, uh, are you going on vacation? Okay. And he tells me that he's, we landed in Chicago, so I was thinking he was from Chicago, but that he grew up in Philly, right? And he's going back, but he's going to move to Ohio and he's going to start a, he and his wife are going to start a Philly cheesesteak bus or something like that. And so it's a cool conversation, right? He said, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a pastor. And he commented that he was guessing that I was either that or a psychologist based upon what I was doing on my computer, Okay. <laughs> So um, I'm not sure whether that was positive or negative, all right? But whatever I was doing. So, so he comments, and then I said, uh, you know, and he said, well, have you been traveling much? And I said, oh, I was over in Ukraine. And the whole conversation changes. And this guy wants my phone number, right? He said, what were you doing there? I said, well, I was teaching, and I was telling about the incredible courage of the Ukrainian Christians. And this whole thing is happening while people are unloading the plane, this man now has a common understanding. Why? Because he says to me, I really wanted to go to Ukraine, but my family talked me out of it because they were afraid, and frankly, he said, I was afraid. I said, so, 
I'm supposed to go next May. You want to go with me? Absolutely, I'm in. Okay. It's like, okay, okay, we're barely changing phone numbers. I, don't, I can't even type the guy's name right because I'm trying to get it before we get off the plane, right? And I was just reminded again how when you reach for common understanding, all of a sudden there's a connection, and that creates the opportunity at some stage to share the gospel, right? And, and it's just a great reminder again. You can't simply start with the, you can start with the Bible, but you can't assume that they see it at the same level of authority that you and I see it. Right? They don't. To them, it's just a book. So make that connection, reach common understanding, and then move to explaining the gospel. Okay. He didn't leave himself without a witness. All right. We're almost done. When God is actively working, there will be opposition to the message that has implications for the messenger. Just going to tell you, um, Paul gets stoned. Not in the vernacular sense of the word, okay? With real rocks, with real stones, in such a way that they think the man is dead, okay? Which, which is so fascinating because he gets, when the disciples come out there, wherever he's left in a ditch someplace, bloodied up, they clean him up, and Paul stands up, okay? Now, there's debate on whether or not he really was dead and God resurrected him or whether he wasn't. I'll tell you one thing. Everybody who took him out there and drug him out there, they thought he was dead, okay? And so they're totally shocked when he comes walking back into town, okay, to preach the gospel again. There will be opposition to the message that has implications for the messengers. First of all, take courage. The gospel matters more than life. Just got to remind you this. The gospel matters more than life. We live in a world that doesn't live like that. We live in a world that thinks that it's not that the gospel matters more than life, but safety matters more than everything. Security matters more than everything. That's not the teaching of the Bible, okay? It's not the teaching of the Bible. The gospel matters more than life. Watch this. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, having persuaded the crowds. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead, but when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on to Bar- with Barnabas to Derby. And when they preached the gospel to that city, what? Paul, you just got, people were throwing rocks at you for preaching the gospel. And what are you about to do? Go preach the gospel again. And here's why. Because the gospel matters more than life. Not your safety, not your security, the gospel. Sharing what Jesus did matters more than your life. That's a little tough to get it in America. It's easier to see when you're someplace else. In May when I was in Ukraine, um, my one friend's kind of a rock. He's kind of like the rock of Gibraltar. My other friend, American pastor over there, they've both been serving for 30 years. The other one is, is just high energy and nervous. And, and, and um, he told me, you know, he said, Phil, we stayed for one reason, because we thought people could get saved. Our American government was saying, it's time to get out of town, it's time to pack up. And he said, we stayed because, he said, you know, Greg, he's like the rock, he never really was phased by anything, but he said, I was terrified. Right? He said, you have to understand, there were tanks around the city. They, uh, when Zelensky speaks on the radio that night, he says, listen, tonight will be the last night you hear from me, because tomorrow we will die. And he says, I call a friend in California and say, please take care of my daughter. She's an adult daughter, but she's not married. Please promise me you'll take care of her because I'm not getting out of this alive. Right? And I love this. He said, I, w- 
I went to a lieutenant and I said, you know, when the Russians attack, um, will they kill us fast or will they torture us? And he said, the army lieutenant said, oh, they're going to torture you. And he said, I went running home to my wife and said, we got to leave now. <laughs> okay. And she said, why are we leaving? I thought we were staying. He said, I didn't know they were going to torture us. Okay. I love that honesty. See, see, you and I can't possibly think that way because of where we live. But here's a man who fully thought he was going to die. He said, you know, and then, got, and then the tanks turned around a few days later, and he said, but he said there were still explosions, and we were living in basements, and, and he said, but you know the greatest joy? He said, look, here's pictures of me just baptizing someone who became a believer while we've stayed. Okay. That's it. The gospel matters more than life. And while we don't live in an environment that enables us to flesh that out, we have to keep reaffirming that or you and I begin to lack courage when we face the simplest people to share the gospel with. Now, here's the second idea. Don't go it alone. Um, Don't go it alone. Uh, I'm not quite there yet, okay? You can't overcome fear by alleviating all risk factors, but only through an ever-growing faith. Here's the thing about the way we think about life in America, that if we alleviate a few more risk factors, if we make things a little safer, if we get a little bit more secure, then we won't have fear. That's not how it works. You cannot possibly alleviate all the risk factors in your life. You can't, okay? You can't, unless you're just not going to do anything, unless you're never going to leave the house. You came here today. You do understand that that incurs certain risk factors. You can pull out of this parking lot You can pull through that intersection and life can end right there. There are certain risk factors that you cannot alleviate if you want to do life. So if you've tied the fact that I'm really a a fearful person, but if I alleviate enough risk factors, I won't be afraid. That's not how it works. You can only alleviate fear through an ever-growing faith. Read Hebrews 11. You'll see it. These people face great dangers, and yet you do not hear them speaking of being afraid. You hear them speaking of their faith growing. That's how it works. Okay, enough of that. Let's talk about don't go it alone. Don't go it alone. Strengthen, encourage, prepare, and trust. Four words. This is the end of the message. Here we go. You ready? Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21 and 22. When they had preached the gospel to that city, that's a new city, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Iconium, that's the city that they were just run out of. Lystra, that's the city they were just stoned at, okay? And Antioch, strengthening the souls of disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, and there it is, okay? There's four things they do and four things you must do when you don't go it alone. Here's your word. Strengthen, encourage, prepare, and trust. So we face, we're going to face opposition. We get it, okay? We don't want to be the Rambo guy out there saying, I got this, I got this, I got this. No, you don't got this, okay? We do this as a team, and here's how we do it. Strengthen the soul. I love this. They were strengthening the souls of those in the church. You say, well, what does that mean? Let me explain that to you. The inner man, that is the soul, is comprised of several parts. This is the part that you don't see. These are the immaterial parts. Um, your thoughts, your feelings, and your choices. Or we might say uh, your, your, your thinking, your mental, your, emo- your mental, your emotional, and your volitional choices or will. 
used to say that a lot, Kim said, stop telling people they're mental, okay? So that's when I said it's thoughts, okay? Here's the thing. It has to do with what you're thinking. It has to do with what you're feeling. It has to do with the choices that you make. This is the part of your inner person, your soul. By the way, this is great. The Greek word here is the word psychos. It's, it, it literally means there's something internal that's not physical, it's also why you have to be very careful that we don't release that part of study over to science that may not believe that there actually is a soul, but that it's just about behavior. Okay, it isn't about behavior. There's something internally going on. You have a heart that has desires. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart, for out of it flow the wellsprings of life. All of that's going on internally. Here's what I want you to see. Ready? Thoughts, we reestablish because the word strengthen there has the idea of reestablishing, okay? We reestablish right thoughts to change feelings to impact choices. This is what they were doing. They were strengthening the souls of those in the churches by reestablishing right thoughts. What does the Bible say about these things? That began to change their emotions. And once you got the thoughts and feelings together, slowly but surely it starts to impact the will or the choices. Now watch this. Our world reverses this. They tell you that what you feel determines your thoughts and you don't have a choice, okay? Because you feel it, right? Not so. That's not how you reestablish. That's not how you strengthen the soul. You don't strengthen the soul by saying, it's just what you feel. So they stir up your emotions. You feel something physically, internally. You, you feel something. You feel passion about something. So that must be what you're thinking should be about. And that, you don't have a choice. That's just what you feel, okay? That's not at all how the Bible works. It's not at all how God's plan works. God's plan says, listen, do your thoughts match up with the scriptures? Yeah, but I don't feel like it. Okay, so what? Bring your feelings into line with where your thoughts are according to the scriptures. Okay. You say, but then I'll be a hypocrite. I love this line. I love it when people tell me that. I ask the question. Let me just ask the question. How many of you went to work on one day in your life that you didn't feel like it? Okay. Put your hands down, you hypocrites. Okay. Did your boss ever say to you, you're a hypocrite, go home. Okay. You can only be here if you feel like it. No, it's the responsible thing to do. What we don't always follow our feelings because that's not, that can lead to irresponsibility. Therefore, we correct the thoughts, the feelings change, and that does impact the will or the choices. Number two, encourage the faith. I love this. Encourage is the word uh, parakaleo. It means para alongside, kaleo to call. Uh, when they were encouraging in the faith, they were speaking hope so that others don't quit. You're basically coming alongside someone and saying, listen, can, what did it say? It says something like encourage continually in the faith. The faith is a process. We're saying, okay, I'm walking alongside of you. I'm speaking hope. There is a future, okay? And we don't want you to quit. Encourage in the faith. Here's the third idea. Prepare for difficulty. Don't pursue a pain-free life. Mm. Don't pursue a pain-free life. Notice what Paul says, and man, does he have the authority to say it because his body's probably still bruised up. There's probably still lacerations from the stones that pummeled his body, right? He says this, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. That's right. The beauty of the Christian life is not that it is pain-free, but that the God purposefully uses the pain. 
Even those things that have been done wrongly to you, even those things God can turn. He's not the cause of them, but he can turn them. That's why Joseph says in Genesis 50, verse 20, he says, what you meant for evil, God reshaped, that literally is the text there, God reshaped, God reweaved, God meant for good. Prepare for difficulty. Don't pursue a pain-free life. Finally, number four, entrust others. You're not in control. Paul goes back to these churches and he establishes elders. This is so fascinating to me. These are new believers, right? These are not established older men who can serve in the church. These are all new believers. All of these cities have new believers, right? And he says to them, listen, we need somebody to lead because we're about to leave town. So how about you? How about you? How about you? We're going to pray over you. We're going to fast and pray over you and we're going to appoint you and then we're leaving, Paul demonstrates that he doesn't have to control everything. He not only goes it alone, but in the end, he is delegating, he is entrusting others to manage it. So what do we do when we face this kind of issue where we say, wow, um, there will be opposition to me as a messenger because there is opposition to the message. Even if I said it perfectly, I'm still going to get opposition What we do is we strengthen the soul, we encourage in faith, we prepare for difficulty, and we entrust others to participate as well because we're not going to go it alone. And finally, we take courage. There's a lot of people in this world presently and certainly in church history past that were a lot more brave than we are, right? And so we look to them and we take courage. We're going to close this morning with a time of prayer for students and for teachers and for ministry leaders on campuses, let me just tell you, there's the battle. That's where the battle is being fought in our generation, okay? So whether it's in college, whether it's high school, whether it's an elementary school campus, wherever it is, that's where the battle is being fought. I just want to encourage you that this is what we do to say, you're not going it alone, teachers, ministry leaders, and things you face. Students, when you're trying to share the gospel and someone criticizes you or ridicules you, you're not alone, okay? We as a church want to be with you in that. Father, it's been a privilege to look to your word this morning. We are grateful for how you work and what you do and, and um, oh man, we're just so thankful for the gospel. We are sinners who couldn't please a holy God and you sent Jesus to die in our place. Help us live that way. Help us not be ashamed of that particular message. Help us give it Help us encourage others to share it. Lord, may we be attentive to those who are lost and whom you sent your son to die for. May we be attentive to their needs. May we reach out. May we communicate. May may we get to the gospel with them. Help us love and serve you well. And as we pray together shortly, Lord, may those who are entering back into school and the fall and heading into the next year, may they find encouragement as they know that others are praying for them. In Jesus' name. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.